What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hello, this is Christian Bush, and welcome to Episode 5 of Geeking Out, my new podcast. Every episode is a new person talking about what they're obsessed with that has nothing to do with their job. The only requirement is that they're totally geeking out on it and they want to talk about it. From homemade bamboo furniture to secret pimento cheese recipes, from Disney princess collections to Doctor Who Lego sets, from your favorite Netflix binge snack to internet tracking great white sharks, tell me what you love, why you love it, how you got into it, and what makes it awesome. Every episode's presented in three chapters. Chapter one, my guest and I talk about what they're obsessed with. Chapter two is a game I call Trajit, where my guest and I turn each other on to one thing that we've discovered. And chapter three closes the show with me talking about music that I'm currently geeking out on and why. I believe that curiosity is contagious and that life is better with a soundtrack. So let's go. Chapter 1. Today's guest is Will Stegman. Will is a professional businessman with a normal person job, who I met because he's good friends with my manager, Whitney. Will lives with his wife, Nina, and their pit bull, Olive, in Los Angeles, California. Whitney and I met up with him on a rooftop in Westwood last fall, so you're going to hear the occasional traffic helicopter overhead as we talk. So introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Will Stegman. Will, tell us what you do for a living. I work for a very big corporation that you probably do business with in some way, shape, or form, and um, what I officially do there probably doesn't matter to anyone who's going to do this right now. Not (laughs) to be mysterious, but I work a regular office job. I do a regular nine to five. Um, I work in customer experience, I guess is the the umbrella that it fits under. And um, I am, I should say, reluctantly geeked out and obsessed with a musician from my hometown. 
I grew up on Long Island. I grew up about 20 minutes from where Billy Joel grew up. And I, for a very long time, wanted nothing to do with the guy. Like, I grew up, it was so, like, he was our, he was our Springsteen. He was our, he was our local hero. Like, in my memory, the local radio station would play Piano Man at 9 o'clock every Saturday night. Like, it was just the thing that we did. And everybody lumped him. Everybody knew somebody who knew somebody who knew him. Um, and he, he lived there? He, he lived there. Even, you know, you know, he had a place in New York City. He had a place in Miami. And he still had a place on Long Island. You know, he, you could see him in restaurants all the time. Um, he was just part of the local fabric. And I wanted zero to do with it. <laughs> now... So I grew up there. I lived there for the first almost 25 years of my life. And just before I turned 25, I picked up my stuff and I moved away uh, to where we are now. Um, where are we now, actually? We are now in Los Angeles. Specifically, we are on a roof, right? Yes, and I don't live on this roof. Like, your, <laughs> listeners, your listeners should know, like, I'm not, I'm not homeless. Um, I have a roof. But when I would tell people where I was from, everyone would always ask, like, Oh, you're from Long Island. Oh, like Billy Joel. You must love him. I'm like, nope. In fact, I don't. And then I would tell people that every year I would make a New Year's resolution. And it was January 1st. We're going to go through this whole year without ever hearing a single Billy Joel song. <laughs> it's like, I started this when I was still living on Long Island, which meant I failed every year. But from like 1996 on, it's like, this year, no Billy Joel. We're not going to go places where we think we're going to hear them, um, which was nowhere. Like, and maybe I go to a hospital, but there was a good chance. Like, if you're at a hospital, you're still going to hear like Uptown Girl <laughs> while you're, you know, in the waiting room. Right. <laughs> it's it's inescapable. So I would every year do it, and then like I would be on the fourth of January sitting in a diner, and all of a sudden you hear you know Down East or Alexa playing over the over the diner jukebox at two o'clock in the morning, and you're like what is going wrong with my life that like I can't avoid this 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 guy that I just I, it wasn't personal I didn't know him I just thought everything that he stood for and believed in and everyone who enjoyed him and his work was dumb that's all a light dumb dumb just straight dumb just didn't know didn't know a thing so I spend 15 years vowing every year to not hear Billy Joel I moved to Los Angeles where I feel like, oh, probably going to hear less of him there. Not the case. Every year, he would pop up, usually within the first 60 days of the year. I would call and be put on hold, and there would be like a Muzak version of, you know, always a woman. I'm like, bastard got me again. <laughs> like, every year, that sneaky Long Island bastard would, would nail me. So, 2012 rolls around. In 2012, I am... How old am I then? I am 37. And you know, I got a job, I'm married, I'm doing well. I'm a different person than the kid who used to sit being angry in diners and cursing Billy Joel on Long Island. But I still won't listen to the guy. So 2012, it's, the, uh, it's New Year's Day. And my wife is watching TV. And she says to me, hey, there's this movie on that I think you want to watch. Um, the movie is called Last Play at Shea. Shea was Shea Stadium where the New York Mets play. And the other thing that I'm obsessed with is the New York Mets. 
So my wife sees this and says, oh, last play at Shea, that's gotta be about the Mets. Let me get my husband in here who loves the Mets and hates Billy Joel in this room to watch this. So she flips the channel and I come walking in and I realize, oh, Last Play at Shea is not a movie about the Mets. Last Play at Shea is a Billy Joel concert film. <laughs> so it's the first day of the year. I'm not even 12 hours into 2012. <laughs> You're a failure. And I'm, I'm blown it up. <laughs> so I decide in that moment, after I storm out, and I'm like, how could you do this to me? Because it was really like that Twilight Zone moment, like, it's a cookbook moment. I'm like, it's not a Mets thing, it's a Billy Joel movie, no! So it's over, and my wife is like, I'm so sorry that I ruined it for you. And I'm like, we're going to regroup. You know what we're going to do this year? We're going to flip this script. I've been putting this off for too long. I'm going to listen to every goddamn song this guy ever wrote, recorded, and released, and... I'm, gonna, I'm going in. I'm going in deep. I'm going to find out what is it that I don't like about this guy. Why does he set off all of these things in me? And over the course of 2012, I did this thing called A Year of Billy Joel, where I basically dedicated the whole year to just studying Billy Joel's music. And over the course of that year, became just kind of obsessed with it. Um, the music, his story... Um, his upbringing, the sources of his material, his, his writing process. I became so deep into it that now, what are we, five years later, um, there isn't a day that goes by that somebody doesn't send me a link to something Billy Joel related or um, bring something to my attention like, hey, do you know about this? You should write about this. <laughs> it's this thing that like five years ago, just as a joke, I decided to do this and it's just, it's, it's the thing that people know me for now. As the guy who hated Billy Joel and then decided to give him a try. And, and would you say that you love Billy Joel now? I love, I really enjoy Billy Joel the person. But it's like, I enjoy it when I hear it, but it's not the thing that I seek out, but it seeks me out. It's, so like, it's like your obsession now is... It's gravity sort of, right something. yeah it that's Just a great way in. to put it i'm like in billy joel's gravitational orbit and <laughs> as much as i try to like i can't get away from it it's like every day somebody sends me something um i hear something you know there's there you know re reissues and stuff coming out or i get into a dispute about something or someone else is arguing about billy joel on the internet and if i'm within five thousand miles of that argument someone's like oh Talk to Will. He'll settle this for us. <laughs> so I'm, I'm also now the Billy Joel argument yeah, settler. I have done that. It's true. Yeah, I, yeah. I, will, I will tag Will on Facebook if anyone says anything bad about Billy Joel. I'm like, well, I bet Will has something to say about this. Yes. Judge Will. Right. Why? So then the other thing is like learning like who all of the other secret Billy Joel fans are. Like people who, who are like, oh, yeah, it's sort of like my guilty pleasure. And it's like I wouldn't even say that it's my guilty pleasure it's just the thing that I identify with. Like, the thing that really got me obsessive about it was more his individual story. Um, as, like, just, just kind of hard luck kid living in the middle of nowhere on Long Island. Like, if you live on Long Island, you are acutely aware that the biggest city in the world is less than an hour to the east. 
you're a train ride or a car ride from New York City. And you know that that magnetism, that power that is in New York is right there. Sometimes you can see it. And you also know that they don't want you. You also know that you are an outsider. And you'll always be an outsider. You'll always be somebody from Long Island. Um, And sort of the chip on your shoulder that you carry if you grow up in the shadow of a place like New York City or Los Angeles, you feel like there's something there that you want to be a part of and yet you don't feel welcome. And I felt that way growing up. Hmm. It wasn't until I started reading interviews where he talked about his upbringing and that sense of disconnect from the place he wanted to be um, that I really began to say, oh, like, it's cliche, but like, dude, I've been hating all these years. We're not so different, you and I. Like, (laughs) I realized, oh, Billy Joel and I are essentially the same person, but with a different skill set. He has a marketable skill set. I have a skill set that brings me to rooftops in the middle of Los Angeles (laughs) to talk talk about about projects I used to do. So (laughs) it's amazing, though. Like, the more I read about him, the more I... Um, it was like watching a movie that you hadn't seen before. Like, I had never really studied the movie of Billy Joel's career. But through learning about him, I began to root for him. Like, as if I ignored the fact that I knew what the ending was, or the ending up to that point. Obviously, he's still with us, he's still performing, so his story's still being told. But the story of, like, him struggling, him getting ripped off by a record label, him getting a signing possibly one of the worst contracts in the history of music um and having you know having to basically have the mob get him out of that um get him out of that deal um you know going through like having to really struggle just to sort of get to the starting point and then have some success have a record of the year make some money then get completely ripped off to the point where oh he's broke again he stopped recording new music in the early 90s but continued to tour for a decade because he was broke because he had to because someone he trusted um, robbed him Hmm. Um, you know I had the same thing happen to me obviously for less money but like people I trusted like took money from me and it was like every time I would read something about him I could find some parallel and the thing that it did for me was it helped me to sort of understand maybe where I handled adversity the wrong way, maybe where I um, turned my back on people out of anger. As I was doing this and reading about Long Island and reading about Long Island's favorite son, I missed Long Island a great deal. Um, Ah, I bet. I really missed it. I had been living here for about 12 years at that point. So, I was suddenly homesick. In the 12 years that I had lived in L.A., um, you know, I had grown up. I went from being a kid to an adult, uh, you, you know, being married and, you know, not living, like, in an apartment with four roommates. Um, just living somewhere with my wife and my dog. Um, my dad had passed away. And between my dad's passing and just time, I felt disconnected from my own upbringing. So I, I, the thing that I got out of this, in addition to becoming just really into the life of a musician, um, was 
one, finally giving his music a chance. And, like I said, it's good. It's way better than I give him credit, I gave him credit for. It's way better than I ever understood, and I think he is grossly underestimated as a musician. So that was a gift. That was something that I didn't expect, but also it made me go back home hmm. and connect and talk to family members I hadn't spoken to. It made me go to my high school reunion. Really? Like, and you'd never been? Never been. Never been. It just coincided with my 20th high school reunion. And I went. Did they and play Billy Joel? They, they did. <laughs> yes, the they reunion. did. Because <laughs> it's what you do. Of course. And then I went to the diner afterwards, the same diner that I was once asked to leave for yelling at somebody for playing Piano Man. Um, I went back to that diner and I put on some Billy Joel songs on the jukebox. There you and go. I sat Carmel. with my wife and we listened to Billy Joel on a Long Island jukebox and I felt like, oh, I've made it all the way back home. Like, this is good. This is a really good thing. Um, and you know, now when I go home, I have a different relationship with my hometown. I feel a lot more warmth towards it. Uh, I can go home and not really be angry about things. Leave the past in the past and move forward. And where did you start? Did you like start it like, did you do it chronologically? Yes. I started the writing portion of the project with his first record, this thing called Cold Spring Harbor, which of all of the Billy Joel records, it's, it's, I would say it's the, the worst of them, but it's not, all, it's not entirely his fault. When the record was, was um, recorded, the producer, who also owned the label, who signed him to this terrible contract, basically a 20-year-old Billy Joel signed a contract saying that um, he owed this rinky-dink Long Island... Um, um, outlet, 10 records. And um, the record company basically could control everything and got a big cut of everything. So Billy Joel basically signed his life away at 20, maybe 21, because nobody else was offering him anything. You know, Columbia wasn't showing up at his house. Electro wasn't looking for him. This local guy wanted to help him make records. All I got to do is sign a 10 record deal and give him a large percentage of my publishing. Great. Where do I sign? <laughs> so, so he signed this horrible deal. Then, so his producer, a guy by the name of Artie Rip, who owned the record label, well, uh, Artie Rip goes to master the, the record, and he does it at the wrong speed. <laughs> now, I don't know if you've ever mastered a record, um, but you probably understand how I'm it sorry. works. That's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> so, not funny if you are the guy who's put his life into this. So when I talk about, like, Billy Joel, at this point, does everything right, you know? Works hard, signs the deal that was given to him, says, I'm going to make the best of this, writes a good collection of songs for a 20, 21-year-old. You know, it's not a great record, but there's promise there. Um, and it comes out, and because it's mastered at the wrong speed, his voice sounds really high, and the piano sounds like, basically, take, take a piano, stick it in like an aluminum backyard shed and then put a mic outside of that shed that's what the record sounds like so the label is this little rinky dink operation it's like well i ain't gonna pay to remaster this nobody's ever heard of this guy just put it out like this oh my god so young billy joel gets the pressing of his first record and it sounds like garbage like it's it is they later re-released it, they remastered it and re-released it about 10 years later. 
So the version of it you would buy now is the better version where it sounds correct, but it's on YouTube. Go to YouTube, look up Cold Spring Harbor original mastering, and you don't recognize the voice. So Billy Joel hears this record and feels like, oh, my life is, my career is over. And so he just takes his band on the road and it's like, well, I gotta earn a living. I can earn a living playing live shows. He builds a good reputation as a solid live act. Um, and he's still working on new material. Columbia, um, somebody from Columbia sees him and they approach him and he's like, oh, I would love to sound with you guys. Dylan's on your label. Like, of course, this is where I want to be. Uh, but I'm under contract to these guys, guys for, right? the, rest and for the rest of my life. life to the point where, you know, of course, the reaction of Columbia was who? Like, right. You have a 10 year deal with who? We'll take care of this. <laughs> and allegedly, Columbia sent some muscle over and to took care of it. Basically, and they worked out a deal where um, Family Productions, which was the name of this guy's company, oh gosh. Um, got some sort of buyout and they got a piece of each record. And for the first 10 records of Billy Joel's career, there's a Columbia logo and a Family Productions logo on it because really? that was the deal. Yeah. So if you're trying to get somebody into Billy Joel, even though you started at the top, mm -hmm. where would you start them? Regardless of the album, I would start with Deep Cuts. Start, pick up Piano Man, which was his first hit, and um, don't play Piano Man. Okay, listen to everything else on the listen album. Listen to everything but Piano Man. Listen to um, Traveling Prayer, which is this great bluegrass song that like Dolly Parton recorded in 1999 and won a Grammy for. And if you listen to it, like Dolly sing it, you'd never know it wasn't her song. Huh. Um, listen to Traveling Prayer. Listen to Stop in Nevada, which is about him and this woman that he's now going to get married to, uh, them sort of heading west. Um, and then if you do want to listen to Piano Man, the important thing to know about Piano Man is that everything he's telling you in the song Piano Man is based on true life events. And he swears, and I'm going to reveal here, he and I have spoken about this both on the phone and face to face. He swears to me that someone actually ordered a tonic and gin and also made love to his tonic and gin. Was okay. anyone a real estate novelist? We never got into that. Well... I, look, I didn't... How much time do you think I had? On. Let's back up for a second. Yes. The part where you just said you got on the phone with him? Yes. And then met him for Yes. Lunch. So what happens is, I'm doing this year of Billy Joel through, through 2012. In September of 2012, it ends up like, not on the Today Show, but on the Today Show blog which they promote on the show. Because the, the year you, you tracked it online, yeah. that's what you're saying. You, you, did you like write every day? I wrote, I wrote four days a week, four or five days a week. So, yeah, I should have talked about that. Well, so, I, I, as it's going, awesome reveal no, no, right in a second. As it's going, I'm listening to every song and I'm writing a little essay about every song. Some days it's four sentences, some days it's 2,000 words. Whatever comes to mind from the song. And as I'm writing about the songs, um, I'm also writing about myself. I'm talking about my family. And I'm talking about like being at my dad's house uh, when I'm seven years old and like he and my mom have just separated and it's really weird and it's uncomfortable. And my dad puts on like this, this like sad Billy Joel songs mixtape that he made 
So I'm sitting in this basement apartment with my dad, and my dad's listening to Captain Jack, which is the saddest song imaginable. And as my dad's listening to Captain Jack, he's painting over the windows so that the sunlight can't get in. Oh my god. And like I realized like I'm my parents had me really young. So when I'm seven, my dad is 25, 26 years old. So like my dad is about the same age Billy Joel is at that point. And like my dad feels like his life is over. So we're just sitting there listening to sad music while my dad is like blocking the life out of our of our home and like just putting us in darkness. And I hadn't thought about that since I was a child. Like, I remember that, that night so vividly. Because all I wanted to do was watch the Mets. Because the Mets were going to be on. I was like, when can we watch the game? And he's like, when, when I'm done with this. Like, as soon as I'm done shutting out everything good in our life, we can watch the Mets. <laughs> <laughs> and oh my God. maybe we'll get pizza, too. So, it ends up on the Today Show thing. So it suddenly gets some, like, some other outlets pick it up. It was like a Huffington Post thing. Um, so it got some press. So Billy has a publicist who gets clippings every day, and this is one he got. So it was billed as the headline, which is summed me up very well. Billy Joel Hater changes his tune with year-long dedication. <laughs> so appropriate headline. Yeah. So the publicist contacts me and was like, "Hey, I would love to talk to you about this." I'm like, "Oh yeah, no problem." I'm like, give me a call. So I don't think anything of it. So a week later, I'm driving home from work and my phone rings, unknown number, which I normally would just let it go to voicemail. But for some reason, I'm sitting in traffic. I got nowhere else to be. I pick up the phone and voice that sounds weirdly familiar. is like, hey, can I talk to Will? I'm like, this is Will. He's like, hey, it's Billy Joel. And I'm like, come on. <laughs> I won't say what I said because, you know, we're on a family type podcast I'll here. It. But I'm like, get the out of here. This is not Billy Joel. This is a friend of my dad's. This is somebody putting me on. So he's like, no, I talked to, and he gave me the publicist's name. He's like, I talked to so-and-so. She told me that, like, um, you're doing something about me and that we should go to lunch. Because throughout the course of the project, every time I finished an album, I would post an open letter inviting Billy Joel to lunch. <laughs> I was like, hey, look, I'm making the effort here. I'm trying to trying to make things good between us. And he's like, so what's this thing? And I, I was in the weird position where I needed to tell a famous musician that I do not like his work. <laughs> so I was like, wow. I was like, how much did your publicist tell you about what I'm doing? She's like, she said you had some like website, you were writing about me. I was like, but did she tell you like how it came about? And so I'm like, hang on one second. I'm like, Billy, I've got to pull over to tell you this. So I pull my car over to the side of the road. And I'm like, here's the thing. Uh, I am not a fan. Like, never been a fan of your work. I'm like, and he's just sort of silent. He's like, hey, a lot of people, you know, after a moment of silence, he says, a lot of people aren't fans of my work. He's like, I can live with that. And I was like, but I'm giving it a try. And like, he was happy. It was like, oh, great. He's like, right. what are you up to? So I told him sort of where I was, and we started talking about the records. Huh. And we just talked and talked. And like, to the point where you're like, hey, Billy Joel, it's been great, but like, hey, I'm sure you gotta go. And he's like, don't worry about it. Like, <laughs> he couldn't have been nicer, and like, he seemed. 
to be more into talking to me yeah. about what I was doing. And like, we ended up talking about like our families, and I'm talking about my dad who had passed away. And it was like, we had this great conversation. So finally, I'm like, Billy, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. I'm like, before we talk any further, you should read everything that I've written and then decide if you want to continue to talk to me. Because he was like, hey, we should talk again. Like, if you have questions, you can ask me. Like, I was so amazed at how receptive he was to me taking a critical analysis. Sure. Um, sure, sure. With his work, after the project ended, he was like, hey, we're going to do that lunch. So he came to L.A. He was here for something. Um, <laughs> he was going to be out here. He was like, hey, I'm going to be out here if you want to like meet up. We met up. We had lunch. Um, had a great conversation about, you know, not just his music, but music in general. Huh. Um, and like his, he talked to me about how he thought people perceived his music. Oh, but that's it was a really interesting conversation. Well, that's because you're right in the middle of that. Right. I mean, I would say it for, as an artist, I mean, and this is none of this is really about me, but I do know that the one muscle that you have to use is to convince a stranger to like you. Yeah. Well, I think there were two things. That, like the fact that, wait, how come this guy doesn't like me? Like, he's got to win me over. Like, he got a little obsessed with this random dude liking him. Um... And so, but the other thing was, like, I wasn't asking him for anything. Right. Like, I didn't have a demo I wanted to listen to. I wasn't in a band. I wasn't trying to get anything from him. And I think because of that, he was willing to go further than he maybe would have been with other people. Because I was like, hey, if you want to read this, I'd love to have you read this. But, like, he read it all, and they called me. And he's like, hey, I just want to let you know I read everything. And he's like, it's great. He's like, I don't agree with everything you say, but I really like, I appreciate the thought, like the work you put into it. And he's like, you also make a lot of great points about stuff that I don't think people understand. Hmm. Like, I had said something that resonated with him. <laughs> um, and we had lunch, and then he invited my wife and I to go to the Hollywood Bowl, where we got to, um, you know, you've been to the Hollywood Bowl? I have. Hollywood Bowl's a beautiful place. It's a lot more beautiful when you're sitting right up front. Like, I've been to the Hollywood Bowl a number of times, and usually when I'm paying for the tickets, I'm sitting practically up in the hills. Like, I'm usually, like, I'm closer to a coyote than I am the stage. But I, I, uh, we go to see the show, and I'm sitting right in that little sort of pit area with the, the tables and the, and the millionaires. Right. So we're sitting basically in the 1% section. And it's nice, like we're 1% cosplaying. Like, hey, we're gonna pretend we're fancy people for a day. Now what no, none of the fancy people around know is that I took the bus to the show. Like, <laughs> I took the bus. And it's like, I'm looking at this guy up on stage, like he was a bus taker. Like, yeah. you know, he, there's no reason, like he got lucky, he hit the lottery, and, you know, and he didn't, he didn't get a gift, like he earned his seat, but like he got lucky. Like, he, things could have very easily gone the other way. I watch him and I realize, like, he could just as easily be sitting on the bus with me and we're here seeing somebody else. So it was a very much, like, again, it's, it's an identity. So, like, I ended up wanting to listen to somebody's music to see what it was that sort of brought people into it. And I realized it's a combination of, one, as I said, songs are better than I gave him credit for, especially the deep cuts. 
Deep cuts are way better than people understand. And the person, and the fact that, oh, more than any other, um, more than almost any other sort of hugely popular musician, like, he could really be any one of us. Like, the appeal of Springsteen, who I love, is that everybody feels like Springsteen's a guy you can go have a beer with. Billy Joel is also a guy you can go have a beer with, just, he'll tell you this, don't let him drive you home. <laughs> That's awesome. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Chapter 2. In every episode of Geekin' Out, I see if I can trade one thing I've discovered with one thing that my guest has discovered. A friendly exchange. I call it trade ya. This segment, as I'm eating some banana chips here, um, is called trade ya. Okay. And the idea is, uh, much like you have uh, you know, told me what your passion is or your obsession is, what you're geeking out on, this is just something very kind of within your week, within your month. Um, something that you're into and one thing that I'm into and I'll trade you one thing for another thing. Okay. So for me, um, I'll start so you can have a second sure. to think about it. Give me a moment. Um, during our conversation, uh, I just heard you say that you have a podcast. Mm-hmm. Right? I have a Mets podcast called uh, Flushing Transit Authority. <laughs> um, 
which I do with my friend Jay Bushman, and it's a ton of fun. We like talking about. Basically, he and I love talking about the Mets, so we're like, hey, if we're going to talk about the Mets, let's record it and make other people listen to it. So this is my first experience in podcasting, and uh, I, uh, you know, own a recording studio and stuff, so I know all of the things I should be doing uh, to make it awesome from an audio standpoint. But um, what I've discovered is one of the things that's actually sitting in front of us is this microphone right here. It's an Apogee microphone, and it this is the same converter uh, in the bottom of this tiny little microphone that I use to record uh, albums that win awards. And it's somehow, instead of having it in a giant rack, they put it in this tiny little microphone. And it'll plug into your phone, or it'll plug into your computer, anything. And secondly, to, uh, to up it, there is a Kickstarter thing with these guys in Canada that is, um, they call it the eyeball, and it goes on top of this. And suddenly, you have an entire recording studio that really will squish down like a Nerf ball into your bag. That is amazing. You know what I'm obsessed with lately? I love Neil Young. You're a big Neil Young fan. I love Neil Young. Um, Does that mean that you bought like a Pono player? I did not buy a Pono player because <laughs> I also realized that your average listener, which I am, can't tell the difference. Got it. And unless you have, like, I'm listening unless to music. Unless you have Neil Young's dope. Right. You can't tell the difference. I'm listening to music in my car <laughs> or I'm listening with earbuds on. My, my iPhone or my home, you know, record player with a USB speaker is going to be fine. So the thing that I'm obsessed with right now, Neil Young put out a record this week called Hitchhiker. Oh. Hitchhiker was recorded in 1976. And I learned about Hitchhiker through my friend Daniel Ralston, who just published a great story in Vulture uh, this week, just, you know, the pop culture site, about the making of this record. So the record was Neil Young, his producer, David Briggs, who produced all of his best stuff, um, and Dean Stockwell. Do you remember Dean Stockwell? Quantum Leap. Dean Stockwell from Quantum Leap. Wait a minute, the actor? Yes. Okay. Now, Dean Stockwell was also a musician. Dean Stockwell was a renaissance man of the 20th century. Um, Dean Stockwell does not play on the record. He's just there in the room. And... (laughs) But the record is just Neil Young and an acoustic guitar doing the first version of Pocahontas, the first version of Powderfinger, um, and a bunch of, like, other stuff that Captain Kennedy... Like, a bunch of stuff that you've heard him do on other records or he pulls out live every now and then. But just to hear, like, Powderfinger just on an acoustic guitar is, like, the, the beauty of... I love Powderfinger. It's one of my five favorite songs ever recorded. And just that sort of... That harmonic guitar sound. Um, and that sort of really just slushy riff that he does on the electric and to not hear that um, as my friend Daniel points out like makes the narrator of the song feel even frailer and more afraid than he is in the electric version 1970 1976 1976 yeah so two years three years before it came out on on, uh, Rust Never Sleeps wow okay I will totally go listen to that it's fantastic I, I, I I put Neil Young's guitar playing is one of the things oh, yeah. that, that really inspires me because it's, well, it's more so, right hand than left hand. It's so sort of like, it's just so primal. Yeah. yeah, I love it. That's awesome. Well, thanks for being here or thanks for joining us on the roof. Always happy to be on a roof. 
good to be had. Chapter 3. Me geeking out on music. Piano Man. I would like to discuss piano playing front men and women. We're all used to seeing our singers stand and perform at a microphone, and some mics with diamonds on them, some with scarves or tambourines hanging down, and some even twirling or swinging the stands around like they're weapons. We also have stars that commonly wield guitars as they sing, whether they're rock and roll battle axes or hipster ukuleles or wooden steel string country artists. We're all accustomed to our rock stars performing certain duties a certain way. As a culture, we really don't stray too much from this model. Yes, there are a few that play violin and a rare saxophone here or there, even a drummer like Phil Collins or Sheila E or even Cowboy Mouth. But I've noticed something odd about our rock stars. There are very few that play piano. In 1919, Steinway and Sons launched an ad campaign for their pianos, and the tagline was, The Instrument of the Immortals. So let's think about that. Let's see what's on the top of my mind. Uh, Fats Domino, Jerry Lee Lewis, Little Richard, all built rock and roll on pianos. And then my mind, I think of Elton John and Billy Joel, and Jules Holland from The Squeeze. Then I think I skip ahead maybe in my mind to Ben Folds and then Lady Gaga and Sarah Bareilles. And then it feels like they're more like that old TV show, The Highlander, that there can be only one. Piano rock stars are things that we love, but it seems that we don't have a lot of room for them on our pop charts. Great for rhythm and blues, great for songwriter, but what about the piano makes it a hard sell for a rock and roller? Why? Is this just harder to carry your piano to a campfire at a remote beach to serenade the girl that you like? Harder to carry up a flight of stairs for an open mic? It doesn't go well with tight pants? (laughs) Maybe it's baked into our learning. By default, when we take a piano lesson, we learn chopsticks. Versus on a guitar, we learn deep purple smoke on the water. Maybe it's our history in the 50s and 60s as teenagers became purchasers. Fats Domino was playing Tutti Frutti versus Chuck Berry playing Johnny B. Good. Is that when we turned? Maybe in our subconscious, it's that we feel that a piano just can't get loud enough to drown out the cheers of an arena and command the masses. Whatever it is, as a guitar player, I'm always fascinated watching my brother play things with keys on it. Fascinated hearing Elton John effortlessly land a song on its feet every time it tumbles out of a speaker. Fascinated at how Billy Joel sounds like a drummer and a bass player and a guitar player all at the same time on the same instrument. I hope someone new out there feels like taking us for a ride soon on their imagination using their piano. And I hope it feels like freedom and rock, and power, and awesome. Long live rock stars who play piano. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Geekin' Out, and we are already hard at work on the next one. 
Are you obsessed with something amazing? Want to tell us about it? Write to us at geekingoutwithkb at gmail.com and you might be a guest on an upcoming episode. Come find out more about me and this podcast at christianbush.com. Christian with a K, people. Follow me at Christian Bush on Twitter, Christian Bush on Instagram, Christian Bush on Facebook, and Christian M. Bush on Snapchat. Thanks to Bobby Bones for the opportunity to make this podcast, Brandon Bush for making the soundtrack and assembling the pieces, Tom Tapley for audio wizardry, and Whitney Pastrick for being a great producer and making this whole thing possible. This is Christian Bush, geeking out. Thank you for listening. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Tired of pickup truck bed chaos? Meet Decked, game-changing USA-made full bed-length drawers for tools and gear. Waterproof, dustproof, lockable, secure. Whether you're working, hunting, fishing, camping, or just getting out of town. And introducing Decked Deco cases. Tough, modular, problem-solving cases built for the truck, job site, campsite, or garage. Say goodbye to random bins and tie-downs. Order now at Decked.com slash iHeart for free shipping. Decked, your truck, your rules. Decked.com forward slash iHeart.